Thanks for downloading this podcast from Brom Radio. For more programs, search our podcast page at bromradio.com. Hello, that sound can mean only one thing. Well, it can mean numerous things, but today what it means is the Scream Brum Show is live here on Brum Radio. It is the, what is it? This, what, I've got it down, it's the 2nd of February. That's not right, is You're it? You're a week early, mate. It's the 9th of February. Indeed. And um, we're, it's 12 o'clock here and uh, in the heart of Birmingham in the UK, not Birmingham, Alabama, but if you are listening from there, you're very welcome. Wherever you are in the world, do tune in. You're listening to The Scream Brum Show here on Brum Radio. This is a show where we talk about everything with a screen, which, as you know, is pretty much everything these days. Um, but we're not going to be talking too much about watch faces or Fitbits. We're going to be talking about film because our theme today is makeup. Tim wears a lot on a regular basis, don't you, yeah. Tim? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just wiping away the mascara now from yeah. the from the tears of shame. There's nothing, to, nothing to be, nothing to be ashamed of well, at all. And hello, everyone. Hello, this is Mr. Tim Wilson, uh, and I am Blake Woodham. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm good. I'm listening to the theremin on the intro. I, I just downloaded an app for my phone that does a wicked theremin. So by the time the next show comes on. I'm going to do that theremin on my phone. So we'll be having a, a live theremin accompaniment. Yeah. Uh, that will be um, great. I can. Don't worry, everyone. I, I might can, give you a little preview in a minute. I can turn his microphone down, everyone. You won't hear it. Um, so today... It's we're, loud. <laughs> we're going to be it's doing... It'll come out of your mic if it doesn't come out of mine. <laughs> this, is, this is a terrible, terrible idea. We're going to be doing... Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, makeup, very specifically special effects makeup. So this is this whole fascinating world that we're going to delve into of making people look older, making them look younger, making them look injured, making them look ill, making them look like aliens, making them look like ghosts. Or making them look nicer than they do. Mel Gibson has a <laughs> uh, an entourage, presumably, stopping him doing that. He's like the... Uh, the Dorian Gray of humans. Um, anyway, we are going to we'll be... take t- that as a compliment, probably. Yeah, yeah, well, you can take whatever you get. Um, um, so we're going to be having a lot of fun, and we're going to be playing some music from um, films where we think that the, the makeup is especially uh, important, something that's part of the, the, the fabric of the film and the TV. We're going to be doing so... Um, don't worry, it's not just going to be Tim and I... Uh, swapping uh, lipstick colour tips. Phew. We are going to be doing so in the company of some genuine experts. So what we have coming into the studio shortly will be Laura and Ben from Phantom, no, Father Phantom, I do apologise, which is a uh, special effects makeup company based right here in the heart of Birmingham. So if you have any questions for them, if you want to know how to make yourself look like a zombie, how to make... You surprise your other half uh, by making yourself look 100 years younger or 100 years older. Then uh, 100 years younger would be difficult. Um, Then please do tweet (laughs) us. You can go to at Screen Brum if you're on Twitter. If you're on Facebook, you can visit us. Go visit, uh, just search for Screen Brum on Facebook and leave us a post. Let us know. First of all, let us know, you know, any questions you have for Father Phantom, but also what are your favourite makeups? What what makeups have, have surprised you, amazed you, stayed with you? 
What is the what are the effects yeah. that are the most impressive for and, you? Um, we've already had a number over the last few days in the in the lead up to the show, mm. and we will be sharing some of those. Um, but we urge you to use the, the Twitter sphere for all of your comments, and uh, if you do have a tweet, send it to at Scream Brum. So and we will pick it up and we will comment and um, laugh. Or cry accordingly. Laugh at you. That, that's a really encouraging way to get people to send them in. Um, <laughs> that's so a foolish suggestion. No, bef- we're not like that. Before we bring in uh, <laughs> Father Phantom, let's start with some music. Now, um, this is from, for me, uh, as someone who knows very little about this whole area, the, the film that is I always think of when I think about makeup special effects. I'm sure you'll know what it is. If you do, why not tweet in and let us know? Um, but uh, if not, uh, just enjoy listening to it because it's brilliant. You know it, don't you? You know. Oops, sorry, got a bit carried away. Nearly, nearly missed the end of the track there because we were talking very excitedly about the. Um, I'm going to turn Tim's down. Don't worry um, about the uh, the tweets we're getting in. Thank you very much for those. We'll talk about those in a minute. That was, of course, "Bad Moon Rising" by Credence Clearwater Revival. And that is taken from the soundtrack to which film? I'll let... Shall I, shall I answer? You answer. It's an American werewolf in London. An American werewolf in London. John Randis's classic horror comedy, which is, um, <laughs> is, is simultaneously you know, one of those incredibly rare beasts, a horror comedy, which is both scary and funny mm-hmm. at the same time, um, and also has amazing special effects. And the makeup in there, there's a transformation scene... If you haven't seen it, then I'd recommend watching the film uh, for that alone. Uh, the transformation scene when he first turns into a werewolf. I don't think that's a spoiler, um, saying that there's a werewolf involved in the film. Uh, but they are done by the, the special effects makeup guru that was Rick Baker. Is Rick Baker? I'm not sure if he's still alive. Or he's still alive. Um, and that voice you heard there is for our guests in the studio, um, Father Phantom. We have with us, well, would you like to introduce yourselves? Well, hello, guys. Uh, I'm Ben. And uh, I'm Laura. And together you are... And we are Father Phantom Studio. So tell us a little bit. So you are the people that make... Well, what do you make? Yes. Well, essentially, um, obviously, with all films, it starts with a script. Um, and then... Any... I think you'll find I've seen the Cloverfield Paradox, and I don't think that started with a script at all. <laughs> no, actually, yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, carry on. And then usually, if there is any uh, elaborate makeup or um, any creature designs, first thing we do is we'll sketch it. We'll draw it out on a piece of paper. Then uh, usually we'll make like a small version of it um, if it's a creature, so you can see it as a three-dimensional figure. And then we take a life cast from the actor. Then we'll sculpt whatever it is. It could be a big cut. It could be, for example, his old age makeup. It could be wrinkles, things like that. Uh, then we make a series of moulds and then cast the appliances, uh, pre-paint them ready to be applied on the set when filming commences. Yeah, so that's all the makeup part. Uh, we also do some props, so that includes severed hands, severed heads, uh, guts, anything gory. Um, we do fake bodies, we do fake knives, uh, all sorts of things, really. Fun yeah. for the whole family. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, yeah. <laughs> and... And this is special. So, is it special effects makeup? Special effects. Now, is this is this a completely different discipline from, if you like, regular makeup? I mean, are you are you operating in totally different spheres, or do you do that as well? 
Um, I trained to do a little bit of straight makeup, um, but at at the beginning you have makeup, and a makeup artist should know how to do small cuts, like little bit of skin disease. When we come in for special effects, is when it gets bigger. So when it's a big cut, when it involves maybe a face cast, that's when we come in. So it is two different areas, really. Mm-hmm. And do you work in in film and TV theatre? What's your what's your areas? We would say that predominantly it's film, um, with a little bit of theatre. But have we, we haven't done TV yet. Uh, we haven't done TV yet, but obviously TV would work like film. Mm. So it, 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 yeah, if the opportunity arises. Uh, TV and, as well. Uh, a few mu- music videos as well. Um, yeah, we've done a uh, musical as well. Uh, oh. We we do the mask for Thriller Live in London. Oh, oh yeah, so. I forgot. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, we we basically uh, for the West End show Thriller in London. Um, every year and a half, uh, we basically redesign the look of the zombies for the show, and then we'll make all the dancers the new masks. Um, and sometimes we try different things. The the first ones we made for the zombies were very kind of realistic and kind of dull looking. And then the second batch, I wanted to make more vibrant and comic book style because I wanted to make sure that they really pop on stage. Mm. Uh, so we used a lot more vibrant colours. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 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 I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> and with these uh, things... Would you use the same mask every night on filler, or do they have to get a new one? On on filler, they use the same mask every night because what we do is we design one for each season or when they want a new one, and we make them batches of masks that they can reuse. And I guess the same dancer has the same masks for a few nights mm-hmm. uh, or the whole season. Yeah, but if I'm um, Hellboy or something, is it is it fresh on every day? Yes, yes. That, that's different. Now, um, that's what's that's called a prosthetic. Um, so a mask is literally just like a um, something that you just pull over your face, and that's pretty much it. A prosthetic is something that typically is designed to fit on your face and is then um, adhered or glued onto your face, and it's built to work and move with your face. So um, when it's removed, when it's basically the you undo the glue and you take it off, then it just gets thrown away and you use a fresh for hygiene reasons and plus uh, wear and tear and things like that. Yeah, depending on the materials, uh, most of them you can't reuse. They would be ruined at the end of the day. So just have to put a new set in the next day. And are you there at the studio doing this? Are you applying the makeup yourselves or is that someone... Do you make it and give it to the someone else to apply? At the moment, we've always made it and applied it. So far, uh, there's been actually there's been don't argue maybe (laughs) there's been I think maybe two projects where we've we've built the pieces and then sent them to the set. Yeah, it's true. um, For their their makeup artists to take care of it, but more often than not, we'll make it the studio, then we'll go down to set and then do what needs to be done with it. Um, I think we need to be seeing some of these. Do we have any that we can any images of this we can tweet out, Tim? Yeah, um, I have plenty of images, and I'll be um, subliminally emailing them. I'm sorry, tweeting them, not emailing. You well, emailed them to us earlier. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do really, it really, <laughs> There's some really cool stuff. Actually, what I'm going to do is, um, before I tweet, I'll, I might get you to explain, so I can put a little explanation into the tweets as well. Um, we, we've already started getting some questions in from the audience, so yes. thank you very much for that. Keep them coming in. If you have anything 
that you would like to ask Father Phantom. Let's play, let's play some music, and then we'll be back with more discussion. This is, um, well, again, this is a cover version, but it is of the song you probably know, used in, um, I think Miss Mon might be one of the very first soundtrack albums I ever bought. Um, having seen it, heard an advert for it on... Um, Radio Luxembourg, I think. Um, and it's, it's um, from The Lost Boys, which has amazing, amazing monstrous um, effects in that. It really doesn't look in, uh, dated by a day uh, on that. And this is Echo and the Body Man's version of uh, oh, People Are Strange. Oh, good, cool. People are strange when you're strange. You're People are strange from The Lost Boys, which I learnt recently had two sequels, at least two sequels, um, and is probably ripe for a remake if it hasn't been made, but the special effects on there, absolutely fabulous. Um, so we are here in the studio with Father Phantom, Laura and Ben from Father Phantom, the special effects makeup specialists here from Birmingham. Now, guys, um, it's an, you know you spend your, your days up to your elbows in blood and guts, and eyeballs and so <laughs> forth. How on earth did you get into this? Okay, no, I'll, let, I'll let you go first, Laura. Oh, great. Um, um, I'm, I, I'm not sure how I got into this, unlike <laughs> Ben. Uh, it was a bit later on because I started doing art and art schools and things like this and got a bit fed up with it. And then I just rewatched something. I was like, that's great. I could do this. And just started playing literally with... Uh, play-doh like sticking play-doh to my face uh, <laughs> until i found that <coughs> there was a place that could actually teach me some bits like this back in france where i'm from and i thought oh i'm gonna try this and since then i actually haven't stopped uh, one day doing it really um and ben is, is your is your route different to that S- slightly uh for me i have always always been in tune with my inner artist so um, since I was, I think, probably five or six, was this fascination with turning materials into different things. So I'd make, I tried to make um, a full alien costume out of paper and staples, um, trying to make all these creatures with Play-Doh and blue tack. Um, and then as I progressively got older, um, you stop using them and then you start using real clay. You go to paper mache, then you go to latex. Materials get more advanced. So I, uh, while I was going through school, obviously art was one of my main um, courses that I was most enjoyed. And I knew that I wanted to work in film. I've always known I wanted to work in the, the, that industry. So I went to college and I studied media and film, uh, mainly the production side of it. Uh, so I get a hand on directing, producing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, and what it takes, the the progress from pre-production, production, post-production, all of that. Um, and obviously, when you're in there, you have to do your own projects, etc. And I was always, always doing all the the makeup for everyone, and always have all this fake blood and latex. And then it wasn't till after that um, I I directed and producing. I was trying and trying. It really wasn't kind of working for me. And credit where credit's due is actually my brother that said, hang on, Ben, you're, you're really good with all this kind of creative stuff. How about you put the two and two together and do that for film? And then it was just like a massive light bulb moment, and it kind of just rolled from there, really. And, uh, and so how does it work in the, in the actual filming process? You've explained that you obviously might make... So how much control do you have, for example? Do they come up and say, this is what the alien looks like, or whatever, or do, they, or do you get to choose that? It, it depends on the director... 
uh, it depends who you're working with. Some people are very set in what they want, either because it serves the story or either because that's really what they want. So then our job is to come in and just make it work because that's what they want. And sometimes they come to us more with a general idea and they're like, can you design something or some things so we can have a look and pick and choose what we like. And then we have a bit more of a say in how it looks like because we're actually designing it. So it could be uh, completely different. Every every project is always mm-hmm. different. Uh, sometimes the director will have a very, very abrupt idea. This is exactly what I want. And it's up to us to make it work uh, practical-wise. And sometimes they'll have a, just a broad idea. And then it's up to us then to kind of home into that um, and then refine it. I, I'm, I, I know the question that we'll be getting most of all is um, we want loads of indiscreet comments about you know uh, famous people that you have applied to. But are there any? Is there any of your work that uh, people can can see on film recently, or any? What would be something that we, they can look up to see? Okay. Uh, well, Laura, one a project you worked on yeah, is on Netflix. Uh, on Netflix, a project called uh, London Heist. Which uh, is ma- is mainly it's a kind of gangster film, but there is quite a lot of nice little effects. Uh, there's a lot of blood rigs that just drips everywhere. A nice beaten up face as well. So that's one of them. Uh, nice beaten up face. <laughs> <laughs> Say that before. I'm, I'm quite scared. Um, we've got Ox, which is uh, on Amazon and most of the digital. Which one, sorry? Ox. So Ox. stands for auxiliary. It's, it's it's short for auxiliary. So A U X. Oh, was that the? F- no, what is that film? Is that a sort of time travel one? Uh, no, nope. this one it, is about a World War Two uh, kind of World War Two zombie coming back at, nowadays. Uh, it's got uh, John Wright Davis that plays the main character. It, it, essentially, it's about a uh, a World War Two soldier who doesn't quite realise he's dead. And he's still fighting the war, basically. Even yeah. though it's well and truly over, he's still kind of still fighting his cause. It's so a I good guess British horror. It's, it's yeah, it, yeah, and it's a big creature. Uh, but it's it's really well done because you don't see it until the end. The end. Mm. So it's just a big reveal of the creature we worked on for mm. a long time. So that was uh, a good one. So how long? When you say that, how long does it take to? To create, I mean, I know it's a, you know, it's a piece of string, but how long did that take? For well, example? this one is not a good example because <laughs> no, this no. one we had the shortest time uh, ever. It was over Christmas, and we literally had been given eleven days to make the whole creature from beginning to finish. Uh, that was short. That, Usually, it's a bit longer. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> and is that and is that a separate? Is it like um, when you say that create the creature? Is it, is it a suit? He uh, had a whole chest, and he had all. all arm as well and it was neck uh, all the heads and the face as well so quite a big creature and these things are stuck on with some permanent glue and that's it the actors <laughs> yes. have to not eat anything for <laughs> you hear all these stories about that the, these sometimes these actors are spending six hours in the in, is that is that real well, well, yeah. Well, yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the thing it, is, is as a makeup artist I think our role is uh, not not you know it's not a bad thing but we kind of the nanny in some way to the actor for the day because there's a lot of things they can't do because of what we've done to them with the makeup. So we need to be prepared to have straws because they do need to drink. We need to be prepared to find a way how they can eat or if they can't make them eat before, make sure they're actually fed. There's a lot of things like that when we have to have a nice relationship with the actor because it's actually demanding for them. Mm. And yeah, 
yeah. it's our job to make sure they kind of as good as they can be in that position they are. So you're sort of literally taking film stars to the toilet and helping them and uh, feeding so, them through a straw. Fe- feeding through the straw, yeah. <laughs> the toilet um, stuff hopefully doesn't... Uh, the, the, the toilet stuff, generally I think I've, I think you've helped. Yeah. Uh, the, the, Laura's is, helped someone. Maybe this I is an anecdote ladies, we don't want to hear. Uh, <laughs> I, I, that spring to mind because I was reading about the, uh, the Marvel film um, Black Panther uh, recently and the, the, the guy who's the, the lead in that... Having, you know, I think they sort of spray those suits on, uh, and then you you can't go to the loo for X number of hours yeah. or something. It sounds, it sounds like a nightmare. I'm so <laughs> glad I'm not, a, I'm not a film star. Um, sorry, Tim, you look like you're about to add something. Yeah, and um, we were talking about this in one of the musical interludes. Uh, we were talking about you you have a way of dealing with when situations are potentially about to or are going wrong, and doing it in a way which is um, tactful and. Uh, and, and aware yes. of uh, not displaying any sort of uh, concern. Or Is this so what, when someone, someone starts to melt or something? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. can see them burning, <laughs> you know, that so kind of thing. This job, I mean, a lot of the materials that we use uh, can be very tem- temperamental. So, and sometimes things do go wrong. Now, when they do go wrong, uh, so it could be something like we're applying a prosthetic onto an actor's cheek and it rips. Something as simple as that. The prosthetic, right, not the cheek. No, no, the prosthetic. (laughs) But for us, that's like, uh uh-oh, warning lights, you know. Um, So what we decided to do, so we couldn't, so because we didn't want to panic the directors or panic the actor if something arose. So we thought we'd come up with little code words. Uh Um, Um, It has to be a fruit or a vegetable. So on one instance, we were working on an advert. We had had done an advert. Uh, basically, we're doing old age makeup on an advert, and there's one of the a- the actresses. She was um, olive, like so. She had a very olive complexion. Now that is a very difficult skin color to try and replicate. So we had we had put all the, put on these prosthetics, so wrinkles, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and we were basically coloring their skin back in. Um, and I I looked back and I thought, uh oh. So basically, what happened was her whole head was a completely different color to the rest of her body. Yeah, um, good. So, and our code word for the day was strawberries. So all I had to do was look at Laura and just go strawberries, and then Laura <laughs> would look back at me, and then that's it. No panic, no fuss. We knew instantly. Whoops. Yeah. Um, if you put yourself, a lot of his job again is putting yourself in the actor's position. Mm. How are you going to feel if the people around you start freaking out mm. when they're actually gluing things to your face with products? You've got no idea what they actually are, uh, and so yeah, we just try to keep it. Nice and easy for everyone, because yeah. we can't panic them. It would. Be I, quite I think uh, bananas was our last. Yeah, we had bananas. Like safety lately. word. So any uh, actors out there tuning in, if these start, start talking about their lunch, they might just be talking about their lunch. <laughs> Who knows? If you work on a Bond film, they're going to be broccoli is going to be mentioned a lot in, in, in normal conversations. I wouldn't choose that one. Um, I'm going to play some another track now. This is this is one that has been selected by um, by Father Phantom. This is from. Um, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's uh, Dracula or Bram Stoker's Dracula, Dracula. Um, and um, is this a film with makeup you particularly admire yes, yes. I could talk about yes. this film all day too. oh yes is it yeah. the is yeah. it the which is the most impressive thing for you in that film yeah, makeup wise is it the um, so much here isn't there Ga- which Oman. one are Gary Oldman's and anything he wears and how he's wear it he's wore it in the film is just stunning for me I, I would say um it's, it's the child in me coming out, but I would say it's the back 
creature. The bat creature when, when, when is when he's, amazing. When he's the bat, that bit is oh wow. I, I won't. I won't. Tom Waits is in that film, isn't he? Master, it's master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Master. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I bought a pair of blue sunglasses. Um, uh, off uh, seeing Gary Oldman wearing them, I bought a pair of blue sunglasses. Just to wear that. Just because. And you also grew your fingernails really long and (laughs) you're not going to glide it around. But I bet you looked for the top hat as well. I did look for the top (laughs) hat. (laughs) I thought that was such a that's such a that's such not not a look that will go down well on New Street. So one thing (laughs) one thing we have learned um, recently, of course, is that Gary Oldman appears to have a very makeupable face because he is his um, his Winston Churchill is um, pretty amazing. It's quite amazing. I haven't seen the film, but and of course, the thing you've got to remember with this is. It's not just looking like them. They've got to be able to act yes. and yeah. emote and look like a human being is, with it. I is, think that's why Gary Oldman works so well with makeup because it, it's all good to have a makeup on your face, even if it looks brilliant. It's the life you put into the makeup that, in the end, makes a character. Yeah. Gary Oldman does that. Yeah, I mean, you sadly, the the truth is with with a lot of these is you could do an excellent makeup, um, but if your actor's not very good and doesn't bring it to life, then you're only halfway there. And of course, it's. I mean, you could be a great actor, but not necessarily a great makeup actor. It's presumably it's a, a different skill, perhaps, than, than acting per se. Yes. Um, yes. This is fascinating. Well, let's play the Bram Stoker. The Bram Stoker. This is actually um, composed by Anton Coppola. Um, the Coppolas get everywhere, and this track is Mina's photo, and uh, it's really spooky. Well, that was creepy. Um, so um, that is Mina's theme. Sorry, Mina's photo from um, the Gary Oldman makeup starring um, and Bat and uh, Tom Waits Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Of the I Dracula. had when that when it came out on VHS. There was a limited edition box set which came in a coffin. Oh, oh no way! God. Came in a coffin, and in the coffin you got a VHS, which was um, an, a VHS with red lining around the outside. Um, you got a little pin badge, which was the Dracula, f- the Dracula face pin badge. Yeah, with a uh, like you know, sort of pointy, stony, yes. yeah. and the copy of the Love book. Never Dies. Uh, uh, yeah, and happen? a copy of the book, uh, all in a bo- in a coffin box. Oh wow! I do. Want I don't that. have that anymore. <laughs> That's oh. probably worth a fortune. That probably it was worth an absolute <laughs> yeah. small fortune. Now it was in the early days of box sets, yeah. VHS box sets. You know, because really, that really film cool. must have been about 92, 93. Twenty-five years. Yeah, ninety-two. Ninety-two. Was it ninety-two? I can't keep up. I, with I time. do remember seeing it. Um, but anyway, at Manchester, uh, the first multiplex screen I've been it's to. It's an effective film. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, it's besides Keanu. Keanu Reeves, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's move on. Let's move on. Um, because um when we were when we were off air there, Laura was telling us about the first time you transformed somebody and how the actor um, takes it. Yes, we were, we were talking about obviously how it's the actor bringing the makeup to life, but it's also the makeup helps the actor getting into the character. And one of the first big transformations I'd done, I was just 21 and I was really scared already. And I worked on the actor, who was lovely. And all of a sudden, uh, as the makeup go on and got bigger and bigger, started to get really moody and not talking to me. And I just, I really freaked out. I thought I was going to be fired because I upset the actor. And all day I was just thinking and thinking, oh my God, I've just upset that man and he hates me now. And then I take the makeup off at the end of the day, and he was lovely again. He was like, "That was great makeup. You've done well." I was like, "Oh my god! I thought you hated me the whole day. I thought I had done something wrong." And it's just the makeup has such an effect on people that it actually changes them physically, but it changes 
you can see the change happening in their head, the becoming that creature or that character. That character, yeah, 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 yeah. And that that's fa- as soon when you click on to uh, when it f- happens the first time, like what Laura just said, it's a bit like, oh no, what have I done? It's scary. But when you, when you kind of been doing this for a while and you you see that that's kind of just how actors work, it's fascinating to watch. It's fascinating. Uh, with so many questions I've got on this, and I'm going to we're going to come back to them. We have some questions from the audience, uh, and we're going to. Uh, to bring those in in a moment i'm going to play some more music though because this is one of my personal favorites um from dusk till dawn now this is a film um you know it's it's a film of of you know a lot of blood and guts not my sort of (laughs) sort of thing as our listeners will probably know but it does feature tom savini who is the kind of doyen of this is kind of the kind of don of makeup artists is that right or special effects artists very good he is he is and he actually acts in this film as well. Did he, he, did he, he does. Really does. Yeah. He, he yeah. does a lot of as cameos. Sex in the machine. Film he works yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he does. Yeah. He has a, he has a gun cod piece, as I recall. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, um, yeah, ridic- ridiculous film. It's proper Rodriguez. But isn't there's it? there's some fantastic creature oh, yeah. effects. Yeah, in Tom Savini created actually a lot of things, especially when it comes to blood rigs and like little effects or gags. He's created a lot of that. I've heard this this phrase gag used before. What does that mean? It's usually <laughs> used when you say a, a blood gag or something. It's when the blood splatters, a brain uh-huh. goes on the wall, things it like pretty that. Much a gag is um, any device um, that, any inorganic device that will do something to cause an effect. So, like a, a, a squib um, would be a gag. Anything um, that splatters and any, any particular. Liquid. If we were to do a someone getting their throat cut, which we, we sorry we've 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 gone right into the gore now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which essentially is just a um, usually it's a foam latex patch on the neck and a blunt knife that and um, that just gets cut. <laughs> I should and, say and that's them. a gag. I should say if anyone's of a screamish disposition. Sorry. Tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe leave this one out. But uh, I am of a squeamish disposition. Um, but uh, this is this it. is making me, feel, making me feel slightly queasy. I'm going to I'm going to um, go straight into it from um, from dusk till dawn. Um, the track is called bizarrely enough. It's called Torquay. Thank you. That was Torquay by The Leftovers, and that's from the Dusk Till Dawn soundtrack. You're listening to Brum Radio, and we're here with Father Phantom, a special effects makeups, makeup people uh, par excellence. Um, and thank you for Very your good. tweets. Um, feathers and Wings. Hello, Feathers and Wings. You hello. have tweeted along that you are eating lunch. Um, <laughs> <and> nonetheless, <laughs> still loving all this talk about blood and stuff. And Feathers and Wings has got an interesting question for you. Um, yeah. Is when are we going to talk about eyes? Zombie eyes, white eyes, bloodshot eyes. Uh, feathers and Wings loves zombie eyes in horror movies, and the white ones are scary. Do you get involved <laughs> with eyes? Um... A few years ago, we probably would have, but now um, with health and safety and all the unions and everything, uh, we're not allowed to do any contact lenses anymore. You have to be a specialist of contact lenses to even make them and apply them on set. So there's now someone whose job is to come and apply lenses on actors. Wow. Which, which makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to... Um, contact lenses being made or applied onto an actor um not anymore would we do that but we would do um full size fake eyes if it's for like a prop head or anything yeah. like that 
Ah. Should have gone to Specsavers. I'm fascinated. <laughs> what is the job title for someone whose job it is to sit and put zombie um, eyes in? I think it's a literally contact like... contact lenses technician. Yeah. Wow. Eye contact yeah. technician. Eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that sounds fascinating. And, and I presume those things, I guess, must be made... Especially that are they? Yes. They're, they're not. You know, you can't just oh. buy white ones for yeah. for zombies. So, in fact, the, the first instance actually we just spoke about it was um, uh, the contacts that Gary Oldman wore in Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's true. That was um, a completely different. That was a contact technician, um, and usually it was actually not an, an, an optician that had to come in on set, put it, put the lenses in. Wow! Because uh, they were what is it called for. Sclera lenses. Which are the ones that um, cover your whole eyeball as opposed to just I, your iris. Uh, like I'd love, I would have loved that because Gary, Gary Oldman would always have been in character quite a lot of the time when yes. it was going on. <laughs> yes. So I've just got his vision of, uh, of seeing Dracula in the opticians now. Reading, <laughs> reading, re, reading. Is, this, um, is this better? Is this worse? <laughs> <laughs> Number one. Yeah. Number, Number two. So there we go, <laughs> feathers and wings, there is the answer. So if you want to do a uh, uh, eyes, you need to be a special contact lens technician, which I can obviously understand these things are potentially uh, dangerous, I imagine, with, with yes. the stuff, and these people are going to wear them presumably for quite a long time. Um, so there you go, feathers and wings. Your answer to your question. Any other questions we've we got? We have to? one more question. This is from uh, Jaws19show. It's a great Twitter game. <laughs> what are your thoughts about makeup for a character changing a lot between sequels? He gives the example of Freddy Krueger. This is a, almost an all-round question. Oh, mm. wow. Okay. Um, I actually think it's a good thing. Yeah, I love it. It's more work for us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, the, the idea is, for uh, what interests me is that I, I really like all the parts of our job, which is paperwork, which is making a breakdown which is organizing scene by scene what happens uh, when we go back in time, when we go forward, is there more damage, less damage? I really enjoy that. And with these, it's like half the job is organizing that, knowing exactly when you're going to need to change because it could be from one shot to another. So, for example, um, if you've got one cut, then camera cuts, we need to add another cut, then camera cuts. It's really interesting. I think they so, are really interesting. It is a question about so different characters between like different films. I mean, I films. understand that, but yeah, so, yeah. so oh, I think Freddy so, Krueger yeah. must have presumably changed. I think yeah. one of the Star Wars characters looks different. I think in one of it, the Star Wars films, I, I, I think it it's actually um, a very good thing hmm. uh, because it, it gives a variety. If you imagine, I mean, there's what how like ten, eleven uh, Nightmare on Elm Street films. If his makeup Probably. was consistent throughout up. all of it. It would be a little bit stale. Even um, I know um, uh, one of the most recent ones, Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. Every film that you might not notice, but they have changed. They do change a few things and have fun with it because I think that's more um, an artistic choice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think there are a lot a of different thing. variables at play here. You know, it's the artistic it's like, choice, um, it's technology being better. A good example would be. Um, um, Predator, the yeah. Predator and Predator Two. Predator Two, the second film, they drastically changed the design. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it's that that gives it more. It keeps it fresh. Yeah. And it, it stops it from being stale, especially if you're talking about sequels and sagas. You know, um, another difference was uh, Darth Vader. His helmet was. Uh, you won't be able to tell, but there's a lot of there's a big fan base that study it. <laughs> Not that. Um, <laughs> and the helmet is throughout the three films, uh, New Hope. 
Empire Strikes, Empire Strikes Back and Return of Jedi is completely different helmets. Yeah. So on the first one, he's got actually red red lenses in the eyes, and there, there's a peak and. Yeah, so it, it's good because it stops it it's from being you stale. And you don't probably realise, you don't analyse it when you watch it, but it makes it interesting. I, I would actually love the opportunity yeah. to redesign some of the stuff Ooh, we've done. So, that was it. so that's, I guess, my question in. If you could make any thing, any creature, any monster, any character uh, come to life on screen, have you got a fantasy what oh, you'd love to have wow that's a fantastic question um, we can let that settle for a while uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah I think we should yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll I can't make it that. happen but um, uh, yes have a think about oh, that we're gonna have but it's really interesting you know you talk about you know uh, progression of of uh, costumes and makeup I mean you know this is what Whovians spend or Doctor Who fans for whatever better word spend countless hours talking about is the comparisons of Cybermen Daleks and whatever and how they progress and also what I've really liked and you know I'm, got, I'm going into TV of course Sorry, Blake. Um, but the idea is also that you you pay tribute to Cybermen from the past. That there's been a yes. retro re- return to Cybermen character or a return to the old Dalek character. It's like showing actually that there's a place in point, not just that it's a time th- reference. It's actually part of character and story as well. Oh, of course, before. actually, that that's a very good point. Um, going back to Freddy Krueger, which was mentioned, um, they more often than not they would change his the design of his burnt makeup to somehow mimic the theme of the particular sequel. Yeah. I know one of them, uh, I think it was the fifth or sixth, was very much based around uh, hell and the whole idea of hell. So they gave makeup a lot more demonic um, look, yeah. look. So, you know, that, and the second one, they, they wanted him to look more evil, so they gave him bigger cheekbones, etc. Um, so sometimes, yeah, the actual theme of the story can be intrinsic to if they change the design of a character. Absolutely. And I was thinking also recently, I'm thinking of the Klingons and um, how the Klingon characters have been radically changed for Star Trek Discovery. And they look completely yeah. different now. Yeah. Uh, and they are so much more sinister as a result. It's also keeping up um, with the times yeah, in that aspect. Is. Yeah. Um, it's also when something like the Klingons have become so iconic, when you are going to remake them, Maybe it's better to change, even if it's drastically, because you're not going to match that icon, that ID people have in their head. So it's like, let's go to something completely different. Then we can explore another route. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, another um, comment we've had in, we mentioned um, the Cloverfield Paradox earlier, which is I saw the response. Which has been an interesting <laughs> film. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this. The, it's it's a, a sort of loose sequel to the two previous Cloverfield films, 2008 Cloverfield and then 10 Cloverfield Lane from a couple of years ago. Which is great. Uh, it is great. And then this one, which I was actually quite looking forward to, was a sudden release. After the Super Bowl in America, they said... It's going out on Netflix. No trailer had been announced, nothing. Um, this was an exciting, new, innovative piece of marketing. Or the film was utterly rubbish and uh, they wanted to get it out before anyone noticed. I think it's the latter. Um, but um, we have had uh, Red Bezel tweeting saying, regardless of what you think about that, the makeup and special effects in there are fantastic. And I have to agree with that. There is a I really great sequence that. in it where one of the guys, someone's eye just keeps looking in different directions and it's really sinister and and and, and relatively subtle as these things go um but yeah so that's an, a recent one where we have had some some admiration it also has a moving arm i guess that sort of thing is all um uh, is it all cgi now or are they are they robots making uh, this sort of thing? we haven't seen this one i've seen the arm bit uh in like an advert thing i'm not sure i haven't looked into it it could very possibly be cgi 
Although this could really be done with animatronics as well. Um, I mean, oh, you, you've said the uh, CGI, which is the, the, the which is our naughty word. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> um, in regards to that, at the moment, there was a trend since, let's say, 2011 onwards when it was CGI, 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 CGI. Um, now, however, I think the audiences are getting a little bit bored of it. And to the point where the new Jurassic Park film... They use real dinosaurs, I believe. But they're using that. They're using that as a marketing thing, saying, you know what, we've actually got real animatronics Uh. in the show. And that's a selling point, which is actually fantastic news because it means there's still people like, oh, yeah, they've actually... So so perhaps Mm -hmm. it could be making a comeback. Now, in terms of the balance between what's CG and what's uh, practical is usually up to the producer and the directors. Um, it's up to their preference. Uh, but there's been instances where they've filmed whole films all practical, and last minute they thought, oh, we'll just digital everything, uh, and vice versa. So it, is, it varies from film to film, really. And do they sometimes work in tandem? So would you be asked to produce some makeup which upon which someone's going to add something else, like a right. tail or whatever? Now, this, this is the only instance where I'm actually um, think, yeah, okay, CG has its place, is where we can work together. And, for example, if we could do a, a whole bodysuit, but he needs an extra pair of arms or something like that, then that's where the is CG that, comes It's in. removing things. So, for example, if you need to remove the nose... Uh, um, the series Walking Dead is yeah, a good example. good example. So you'd grin the nose and then just take it off, start, remove an arm. Obviously, we can't cut someone's arm, so we do the bloody bit, and then it would be removed digitally. I think uh, Dustin Hoffman, um, as a method actor, probably would have gone with the, the removing of an arm. He's pretty he's pretty committed. But that's a brilliant example, that... Uh, of, of CGI and practical working together. Mm. A bad example would be one of the uh, Superman films of recent. They actually, throughout the whole film, they see they digitally put on his cape. Yeah. Oh, Which yeah. Is now not, that that's when that's it's kind needed. of it's a bit overkill. <laughs> so it's like that's really not. And in the very recent one, I believe that they did some reshoots, um, and um, <laughs> the, the character who played. Uh, uh, Superman, who I can't remember now, but he was—he had been contractually obliged to have grow a moustache for another yes. film. Yes, and they had to CG out his moustache. And it looks extremely weird. <laughs> it looks extremely weird. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's let's say we are all fans of practical here. Uh, I'm going to play <laughs> another track because I want to introduce uh, a, a, a concept which fascinates me, which is makeup being used for changing people's age. Um, mm-hmm. Making people older, making people younger, which um, is something I'm quite interested in learning about. I'm going to play a track from a film that does that very well, quite subtly, but very well, in my opinion. Uh, the Power of Love, and that's from, of course, Back to the Future. Thank you, Jaws19. It says it's your song. So we're very pleased <laughs> to play that for you. Uh, it's a great track. And uh, we were just talking about um, Ben was, was waxing, waxing lyrical about that film for the subtlety of the aging makeups and the fact that because you've got these three films you know one's in the future the far future one's in the 50s one's in wild west yeah same character completely different look yeah yeah i think it was um fantastic because one of the things that often get uh missed about that kind of makeup uh for example if you look at all the changes that uh michael j fox went through mm-hmm. and all the changes that the character uh, the actor who played biff uh, they, they need to be designed before they're actually done. 
So someone had to think, okay, how what can we do to Biff in this time compared to this time? Uh, that alone is, I think, the way they've designed it all is incredible, let alone done it. And then when they went and done it... In fact, there's one bit that's hilarious in the second film when um, oh, uh, Doc Brown, Christopher Lloyd? Lloyd. Yeah, that's it. He um, he says he's, he's had this, like, rejuvenating kind of procedure and he peels this kind of, like, mask off and it's, yeah. he looks exactly the same. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Um, it's very underrated in that film. I think everyone's just focused on all the geeky bits and the future bits and the time-travelling bits. That is very underrated. The look, the makeup, even the costume, everything like that has been quite overlooked, which is a shame. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think th- this is the thing that, that interests me and reason I want to bring that film up is this whole concept of the kind of the more subtle prosthetic type stuff yeah. of ageing in particular. Yeah. I find it, there's, there's only been a few examples where I would say, wow. You know, so um, I mentioned earlier Little Big Man, the um, Dustin Hoffman film from 1971, mm-hmm. where he looks back on he's very, very old. Um, and also, um, someone tweeted us, I think it was Daryl Davis, about an image of uh, from Amadeus of an aging Salieri one of the looking just, yeah. it, and it just seems to be something that's incredibly difficult to yeah. get right. Sometimes and they Amadeus just won the rubbish. Oscar, of course. It did, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. For, for best makeup. It's fabulous. Um, so, why is it so hard to? to age people when it's easy to make them look like they've got an axe sticking out of their head not easy but (laughs) first of all is subtle makeup Mm. and subtle makeup is much harder to do than a full on creature because you have to be really mindful and it might be very small pieces and also with ageing you have to understand gravity you kind of have to guess what someone's face is going to do as it ages Mm. and you have to add some volume when actually when you age usually you lose volume so we have to give the impression that they're a lot um that their face is a lot skinnier and more sunken in when actually it's obviously going to be more puffier because we we can only Um, add we can't take take away Mm. Uh, i think that's why it's so hard also because uh, when when we age it's really easy to overdo it because you start doing all these wrinkles and it looks great and it's like oh my god yes that's awesome I'm going to add more wrinkles and then you end up with someone who's going to look like 230 years old which is, it doesn't look believable which brings to mind I have, I have to mention this because we brought it up the old age make- makeup in Ridley Scott's Prometheus yeah is not good <laughs> there's only one way to say oh, it's, 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 it's the thing that annoys me most about that the makeup in there is they've put they, they could have just cast an old an old yes, actor. They, yes, they, some, you know, you can understand why they have it when you show somebody aging, but they don't show him pre, uh, pre-aged. Yeah. So, what is the point? He just looks like a man with a terrible mask on. Yeah, yeah it, that's yeah. exactly and what it is. And like Laura said, that. they've made it so old; it's not believable. You can only get so old in real life. Yeah. So, you know, they should have just cast an old person. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I think we I can agree all agree on that. Well, like the, you know, but like sometimes, I mean. For example, the way that the the makeup makes in um, All the Money in the World makes Kevin Spacey look like Christopher Plummer is, <laughs> <laughs> is quite remarkable. No, but because again, the original of that, of course, was with the Kevin Spacey was excised from that. But they'd they'd made him look old to look yeah, like. I John saw Pugu. some screenshots, yeah, and he looked he looked like Getty. But why yeah. not just cast an, an older? But then in the end, they, did, they cast the first choice that Ridley Scott yeah. wanted, which is quite um, fun. Yeah. So so uh, yes, aging seems to be um, a bit of a, a bit of a killer. Of one of the just say one of the makeup artists I feel I. Feel Phil, who got it right almost every single time, was the great Dick Smith. 
Um, I think time he Dick Smith did that. do both of those examples. He did Amadeus. And, yeah, and I think he did do um, The Ele- Elephant Man? Uh, I, no, I, I might be wrong about that. No, uh, Elephant Man is uh, Christopher Tucker. Uh, oh. Yes, it was. Yes, yeah. Um, but Dick Smith, I think to me, one of his uh, best old age makeup is in The Exorcist. Yeah. Uh, in uh, it's, it's Father Merrin. Uh, and everyone at the time looked at that man and was like, who is that old actor that we don't know? We've never seen that actor, but he's already so old. And uh, they realised who it was. That's how good that makeup was. Wow. It's I mean, absolutely brilliant. I'm a huge fan of his work on scanners, of course. You know, ah, and, uh, wow. Yeah. The world yeah. That, yeah, how he created the, the subtlety of movement in people's heads. Um, <laughs> you mentioned the exorcist there. I think we had a tweet about that. Feathers and Wings said that uh, it is one of their... Uh, favorite scary films so thank you uh, for mentioning that yeah exist has been mentioned unsurprisingly um yes. so aging so um so prometheus aging is bad, bad. um so we're saying a, a recent good one that i think was absolutely brilliant uh was tilda swinton in the grand budapest hotel mm-hmm. uh her makeup was very very subtle but it aged uh, a lot like she looks extremely old and decrepit, and she had these amazing lenses that looked like cataract, and that was brilliant old age makeup to me. Uh, and that was done by a British makeup artist, if I'm correct, which is Mark Coulier. Uh, is it easy to youth people, or is no. that hard as <laughs> well? Difficult. Actually, a, um, interestingly, um, recently a, a new, a recent horror film that came out was called uh, It. I'm sure yeah. people have heard mm. about that. Now, they wanted to make the actor who played the clown Pennywise more childlike in looks. So there's things that they've done to do that. Uh, one of them was they made his cheeks more puffier and more rounder. Um, giving it the, and they gave him a bobbly nose. Uh, a button nose. A little button nose. Um, so there's things like that that they've done to give the impression. But this works because he's got so much going on. When it's on someone's natural now, face it's nearly in, in terms of taking mm. someone um, let's say alright we mentioned it before Mel Gibson and we needed to make him look like he did in Lethal Weapon that I think is nearly it would be interesting to do but I don't think it there's would. a few tricks that you can actually borrow from fashion and straight makeup being uh, let's say you act to wear a wig for example so to make the hair look uh, darker or anything you can use some little strips that will pull your skin uh, and, yeah, that yeah, take yeah. the wrinkles off. So it's usually on the forehead. It can be on the jowl bit. The crow's feet. Yeah, so they will just pull your skin, give you, like, a lifting, but just for that day. Mm-hmm. And you can hide it under the wig. But that's as uh, much as we sounds, can do. Sounds painful, doesn't it? It is. It doesn't look nice. Like, they use it as one well to <laughs> give uh, uh, more Asian eyes to, like, Caucasian people. Yeah. Things like that. It just pulls your skin, basically, but that's... As far as we can go to, um, we can fill as well. We can make like a really small prosthetic to do like a filler. So let's say fill an eye that's been a bit hollowed out by age or things like this. But that's as far as we can go with makeup. All right. Well, I thought there was going to be hope for me walking out looking like I was 25, but I think I'm (laughs) I'm just going to have to accept that. Um, (laughs) Let's have a little bit more music from some some another classic 80s film, which uh, makeup blew me away at the time. Um, And uh, this, well, you know what it is. As about as 80s as it gets, Never Ending Story by Lamal from the 
soundtrack to uh, the film the same name, which has got some incredible puppets in it. We were just looking at them uh, online <laughs> there, and the the lovely cute what's it called like a soup dragon or something, a big flying dog with very sinister <laughs> red it's eyes. Just a flying dog. It's just it's just. Just the picture I've got, which I'll post up. Tim, oh. your microphone's gone all over the place. I moved the microphone. Yeah, well, you need um, to speak into it. We so, yeah, so the flying dog, I'm going to post a picture up, and you tell me that it doesn't look particularly sinister. Um, it's a red eye. It's not what it? I remember. It's not what I remember. No, no it just looks... <laughs> look, it's the, I think it's the subject matter of today. Everything is suddenly a bit more sinister. Yeah. <laughs> not quite as magical. If, if, you are, if you are on Twitter, do look at our Twitter feed. Thank you, Daryl Davis. He's, he's tweeted a remarkable picture, which is Max von Sydow who played Father Marion in The Exorcist, that Laura was talking about earlier, how remarkable his ageing makeup is in there. He was only 44 when they filmed that, um, um, which I can vouch is very, very young. Um, but in the, in, in the makeup in the film, he looks, you know, he looks absolutely perfectly aged. It's absolutely wonderful. And that was Dick Smith, who um, Father Phantom here in the studio are raving about as, as one of the greats. Is that right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes he is. Yeah, as, as far as makeup goes nowadays, he's done a lot. Mm-hmm. So you're tuned to uh, Screen Brum Show here on Brum Radio, and we have Father Phantom live in the studio with us, who are the makeup specialists from our beautiful city of Birmingham here. And we're going to be talking about, we're going to ask them to, to, to give us their top five screen, well, screen, are we talking screen films, or are we talking films, or are we talking effects? Films, effects, um, we're fairly open to the, you know, it could just be a moment, you know, the mm-hmm. films themselves might not be great, but the makeup might be amazing. So um, we're going to be doing those, having a rundown of those, and we'd love to hear yours. So tweet us on at Screen Brum. Let yeah. us know what your favourites are. Um, one question we have from a listener before we go into that. This is from Red Bezel. Hello, Red Bezel. Which is, where does fake hair come from? <laughs> okay. Um, first Poundland. of all, uh, working with hair is a, something that we both do and we both enjoy. Uh, Laura... Is it's more Laura's forte than it is mine? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, what is it? My, um, you've got all sorts of hair. It's actually really, bro- and it's a specialty on its own. It's a job on its own to do hair. Um, so you've got fake hair, as mentioned in the tweet, which is which is literally um, fake. It's, it's plastic. It's fi- it's uh, synthetic fiber. So it's made of well, we're not really sure of what. Um, <laughs> it's acrylic, yeah, acrylic. Um, it works great for some things. However, it's often very shiny. It's a bit too heavy to be styled properly. Um, so it works for some things. We use animal hair for some things, such as yak hair, which is usually used for theatre wigs. Oh. Um, we use... Um, There's crepe. Crepe. We use... What do you use for masks? There's mo- uh, mohair, mohair, which is... Goat. Actually, re- beautiful, really soft hair. Um, and that's from the goat. <laughs> um, we sometimes there's camel hair. There's a lot of animal hair we can actually use, mm. and then there's uh, real human hair, which uh, comes from human. Um, which, and the the source of that, uh, where all this hair comes from, is a little bit of a grey area. <laughs> uh, no pun intended. Really honest, <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's not all, all black market. There's an actual market for it, especially for theatres and film. All the wigs need to be real hair in film to, to, to look good. Oh, okay. Um, the, the more expensive and the rarest is obviously blonde hair and European hair. Uh, that that's, uh, goes for silly prices. Uh, there's a lot of Indian hair, Chinese hair, uh, because they, they actually donate their hair because it's traditional for some events that they cut their hair so instead of throwing it away now they sell it 
uh, in China, obviously, that's where the grey area is. We know they use a lot of the cuts from the hairdresser or things like this to make uh, whiffed and, up and hair. And also they, they, they employ uh, women and perhaps some men um, on a contract. So every 12 months, so their job basically is to grow their hair. 12 months oh. after, they get their hair shaved, they regrow it. 12 months after, that's their job. Tim um, Wilson has a new career opportunity <laughs> opening up here. <laughs> He's admiring his long locks now, and they could be on. They could be on Johnny Mel Gibson's Depp. new mullet for <laughs> yeah. Lethal yeah. Weapon Nine. Uh, who knows? Um, there you go. Thank you very much, Redbird, for your question. Where does hair come from? The answer is we, they don't quite everywhere. know, and it's a bit creepy. <laughs> but mainly <laughs> everywhere: yeah. animal hair, plastic hair, human hair. Thank you very if, much. If, if a bald person has said that, where does your hair come from? Oh. Um, <laughs> let us um, let us uh, let's talk about our favourites then. So, yeah. wow. you are the um, going to roll you're this quickly. The experts on this from a professional point of view. I'd like you each to give me five, if you could, films that you most admire for their makeup. And shall we do this in the tradition that we've always done it? And roll round one at a time? Well, I haven't five. got five. You haven't got five. Um, I've got, I'll join in, But you, you join in um, from the amateur. You can be the amateur. Okay. I'll be the amateur. You be the experts. Okay, so okay. Well, let's start with the experts. So, Ben, so, what, have you got two separate ones each? Yes, if you yes. do, we also go number fives first. Okay, number so, five. Number five. Now, number five was a difficult one for me. Um, so, I've kind of got two. Oh, that's uh, not fair. Yeah, well, I, I was joint between, uh, again, uh, Marlo Brando's makeup in The Godfather by Dick Smith, which was kind of half old age and then half absolute, like, changing, changing his, face. his face, basically. Um, and another one I think was fantastic that often gets missed, uh, overlooked is Miss Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. That, that, that makeup was pretty much flawless and that was um dick smith again wow and he guy, did mrs doubtfire yeah he was one of them it, it was basically um a guy called gray cannon and dick smith they they sculpted it and cast it in a studio and then they sent it to another makeup artist to apply on robin williams that was an amazing makeup when you've got a film obviously something like that where there's just one character I presume it's just one artist applying it. Is that how it works? Mm, no. It depends no. on the complexity of the makeup. Uh, if it's going to take four hours already with two people, you can imagine how, how long it would take with just one. So usually it's a team of two, three people applying one makeup to one person. Mm. Well, uh, Pennywise said he had five. Yeah, uh, Pennywise, for example, the new uh, clown it. in It yeah. in uh, last year's movie, had uh, like five people between the hair and the prosthetics and colouring. And the costume. The costume. So. Um, so there we have it. So we had two number fives, which is a bit of a cheap. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Away sorry. <laughs> Guests get extra leeway on this show. And Laura, what are, Laura, what are you number five? Uh, my number five is probably a bit of a weird one. Uh, it's uh, Cloud Atlas. Ah, now this is this is so controversial. I am not saying it? it's a good movie, but it's also controversial because <laughs> there's there is there's a bit of kind of there was racist a, a, sort of. Yeah, but I don't. I think it misses the point. Uh, to me, it misses the point of uh, the racism point. I don't think it's well. I think it just points everything uh, sadly so, on this one. Because so this it is was so just makeup. just so people don't know, this is a film where you have a number of characters: yes. Tom Hanks and, and uh, Hugo Ali Weaving, Berry, uh, Ben in completely Hugo different Weaving. settings, isn't yes. it? So it's, it's uh, I think it's five times and location, and they basically change character um, every time and location. 
And the controversy is, yes, they made Ali Berry as a Caucasian woman. They turned some Caucasian uh, actress in, uh, a, uh, I think it was Korean. So there is a lot of that, and people took the opportunity to call racism. Apart from that, I think it's been quite overlooked because the film wasn't that good, but the makeup was absolutely stunning to me. Uh, it was, uh, I think, Daniel Porter and Jeremy Woodhead. There was two units, um, and they've done some amazing makeup because in one film you've got changing ethnicity, which is actually really hard. Um, has been done before turning Eddie Murphy, I think, in a Chinese old man. That was also really great in another film, but that was... America. Yeah, that was the a great... Scene, which I loved. That was yeah. absolutely brilliant. And at the time, it wasn't called for racism or anything. It was yeah. just seen as a great makeup. And yeah. they've done that again in this. They've done ages, they've, uh, aging. They've done changing a man into a woman. So to me, it's just an amazing piece of makeup uh, for the whole film. Fantastic. Um, Tim, do you have a top five? Number I five? five? I was going to pick something that Rob Boxing had done, and I was trying to like go through all the, the many yeah. Verhoeven choices, um, but I have to really pick um, Robocop. Just from the point of view, really, that as a nine-year-old when I watched this, <laughs> it, left an in- it left an impact on me. In particular, one particular scene involving a guy getting run over, having gone into a vat of acid. But there's so much here. There's so much. Do, uh, do you know what? It's actually again. I think it's something that's overlooked. But the RoboCop films, especially the first two, yeah, are majorly violent. They are graphic. majorly violent. Like, yeah. yeah, like serious, like full on. Yeah. You, you wouldn't just the very, very eighties in that over the top, just yeah. splatting. I mean, the scene that you're talking about here, a character falls <laughs> into a vat of toxic waste and all his skin's for it's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> and then know. they, and then they're like, oh, you know what? Then we'll just run him over with a car as oh. well and get him to explode. There's, there's always a little. There's always this, this fine line in Verhoeven's eighties work, in particular. There's a fine line between camp aesthetic and satire, and the whole, yeah. the whole thing. He's always constantly playing this kind of as a, I'm I'm this Dutch guy who's come to America so I'm this outsider who can mock and and show and show show off how silly you Americans really are <laughs> so let's have some let's have some fun here and really um you know get the guy in from the thing you know uh let's just we got a million dollars to make a suit so let's do that and that was the most expensive part of the movie. The budget was not that high for this film. You can clearly see that in some of the stop-motion stuff, which I really yeah. love, by the way. Is that there's so much invention going on here, but that's not, you know, that's not really what I'm focusing on. It is Rob Bottin's uh, just gore and uh, makeup, and um, yeah. yeah, it is a very violent film. It is. Uh, and um, but it's you know the, it's a movie with a message at the heart of it as well. Uh, you know the gore, the gore contrasting with the really good message that the film has. Actually, there are many messages, but... <laughs> okay, just, just, so yeah. uh, let us know what you think. We've had our top five, but we've got a lot more to go with. I'm going to play a short piece of music. This one is specially for uh, Tim Wilson here in the studio. Oh, I no. love this. Bonkers! We are a bit bonkers. That's the battle theme from Flash Gordon. Um, with <laughs> notable makeup from Peter Duncan from uh, Blue Peter. And also... Max von Sydow as Ming the Merciless, who we've also talked about as being an amazing face for makeup for his role in The Exorcist. So um, we are now here, here in the studio. We are with um, Father Phantom, the makeup specialist, telling us the top five makeup performances in film. So yes. we're now on to our number four. Ben, you want to? Do you want to hit us with your oh, number four? Okay, for me, number four. Again, it was one that unsurprisingly we mentioned before. 
John Hurt in Elephant Man. Yeah. Mm. Now, what's what what's interesting about this makeup is that it's um it's actually a massive piece. Yeah. A massive pieces, very thick. Um, when we're doing our makeup and we're designing the prosthetics, it's kind of like building a car. You want it to be built well. You want it to look good. But its performance is equally as important. So we need to make sure that whatever the actor does, when you scrunch your face or whatever, the make that happens on the makeup as well. And despite the size and how much makeup John Hurt was wearing in that film, you can see his expressions and the sadness in it his face so well. And, yeah. and for me, that's that's one of the reasons why it's in my top is because it translates the act the actor's expressions so well when yeah. usually big pieces of makeup like that won't and this is a film my understanding is that this is the film for which the best makeup category was created mm-hmm. because they didn't get it um, yeah. Yeah. which is a yeah. shame yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so what so they didn't it didn't get it because it didn't exist at that point within the previous the following year it did is that what happened yes yeah, so American Werewolf of Paris was the first film to, they, they created it almost American like American Werewolf in London make that clear yeah, sorry in, in London in, in Paris <laughs> is a sequel yeah. I know oh, yeah. I, I, just ah. made, I just made a mistake there Judy Delphi's yeah. in that by the way yeah uh, anyway um, so there you go so and that I mean the other thing about that is it's black and white as well does that make it easier or more difficult uh, it depends. Uh, black and black and white film is uh, a bit more difficult because you may have to paint your makeup with silly colors for it to look uh, nice on screen. That's why when it was black and white film with normal makeup, they had like blue lips and really silly colors going on because that's what looked good in black and white. I don't think that was the case for the Elephant Man, however, because um, a few years ago I went to the IMAX show, which is the makeup trade show in London. And Christopher Tucker was there showing colour pictures of the Elephant Man. Mm. And it looked absolutely stunning in colour as well. It must be much more difficult for the actors if they've got... If they look... If, if it's all made up for black and white and looks ridiculous. Well, the, the, uh, interestingly, uh, uh, one another famous makeup, Boris Karloff, Frankenstein. Now, if I remember rightly, he wasn't painted green because it looked good. He was painted green because that's what looked best in the black and white. Because it looked paler. Mm. That's what looked the most flattest and deadest was just a a wash of green. So, I mean, I would love to have seen what the artist... uh, I can't remember. Was it Jack? I'm not not sure, but... Yeah, Yeah, what what the coloured version would have looked like if the original artist had did it. But he was green just because that's what looked best in black and white. Um, Fascinating. So, um, number fours... Um, my number four, I've got, it's a uh, Planet of the Apes, but the Tim Burton version, oh. which everyone overlooks because yes, the <laughs> film is not great. Again, I'm only picking not great films, but the makeup <laughs> for that uh, is Rick Baker's yes. makeup. And to me, not overlooking any of the older films which were fantastic, but to me, that's the best apes makeup that I've been made. It's fantastic. It's that's all makeup. The mouth work with the actor's mouth. It's technically beautiful. It's it looks awesome. Ad- admittedly, um, it took us quite a while to figure out how they did that in terms of how they managed to add so much thickness to the actors' mouths but have them still have really good expressions. They move their lips. In, so- in the first films, it's obviously a big piece, so it kind of goes... Uh, like very, a puppet. Like a puppet. But in, t- in Tim Burton's film, the m- mouth moves like... There's a the human expression mouth, there, There's yeah. the expression, mm. there's subtlety. It's gorgeous makeup to me, and the design and all the characters, all the apes look different. 
Uh, and also there's some really cool little facts here is that um, they were given three months to make 500 apes. Whoa. And there was a team of 75 people uh, to 100 people making it, but they were given only three months. Um, and in the battle, it's, there's no CGI at all. It's only masks and costumes. Uh, so that's also why it's in my why top four. undertaking from a logistics point of view. Yeah, yeah. it, yes. Is, it yes. is a crazy, crazy piece of work. So That's really, really interesting, actually. That is. Um, I can't say you know, the film is you know, it's particularly great as a film, no. but um, it's interesting <laughs> to see that point of view. Helena Bonham Carter, I think, in that, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. under, under makeup. But you're right, she's still sort of noticeably acting uh, mm-hmm. and appears, you yeah. know, the humanity, yeah. if you like, <laughs> in that face. And a real allure to that character as well. Yeah. You know, it's a really... Um, it's a sassy performance as well. Yes. <laughs> <Sassy>. <laughs> for want of a better word. So, so Tim, um, uh, do you have a number four? Yes, I do. My number four, yeah, I'm going to Chris Wallace and I'm going straight to the fly. Oh. Um, Chris Wallace and Stephen Dupuy. Um, so this is in 1986 or something, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit of trivia for everyone, rather than focus too much on the actual uh, transformation. Um, firstly, Goldblum and Gina Davis were a couple at the time. It adds to real sort of personal lividity and that kind of interaction between the two of them, I think. Goldblum was not the top choice. Um, and um, it was not what Chris, it was not who Chris Wallace initially wanted either. They didn't say who they wanted, but um, you know they were fans of the actor. The other thing is that... Um, you know, in the making of um, the, the, even the 20th Century Fox president said it was a horrible mistake that you cast Jeff Goldblum in the role as, of oh Seth Brundle, and yet you cannot think of anybody, else, yeah. anybody else who could encompass that transformation in the same way that Jeff Goldblum it's does. It's so physical, isn't it? It's and whole body, it's, it's not physical, a face. It's, it's a affecting, it's a moving it's film. It's very, you know, it's classically Cronenberg in every single sense. It's his most commercial as well. But, um... Just you know, until 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 it freaks you out at the end, it's it's a really even I, I like that too. Uh, are some um, you know, are faces? I mean, it's interesting saying that you know different choices. Are some faces easier to to make up than others? Are there people that are just difficult to do? Is that it? Um, it I think the difficult ones are the ones that won't sit still. <laughs> pretty much. Um, but I think otherwise, in terms of face, no, I don't think it's a face because a face is a face. It's two eyes and nose and mouth. Um, the only thing is that's where I think this is a funny trivia is the choice of actor is so important. Mm. You have to cast the actor bearing in mind what creature or what person you want to transform this actor into because it's going to be very important. The features can make a big difference. So yeah, it, the choice of actor is extremely important. Mm. Fantastic. I'm, I'm conscious that we have... Um Half an hour left of the show. So we we're still have numbers to quickly. get through. So let's uh, let's power through our number three options now. So Ben, okay, what's your number three? My number three. We're going to go way back now. Um, Lon Chaney, Phantom of the Opera. Um, now I, I think he was one of the pioneers um, of what we do. Um, and what's very interesting about what he done is that he was obviously he was self he was self taught. No one told him how or what to do, and um, we wouldn't really be able to do this anymore because health and safety. But not only did he add things to his face, he also found ways to actually distort his face. So well, he made his own face. Yes, yeah, so yeah. He he done his own makeup on oh. almost everything he done, um, and in in particularly in the Phantom, for example, he found ways how he could pull his 
cheekbones down and how he could push his nose up and keep it like that, um, which is just incredible, absolutely incredible. Sadly, I think because of health and safety... They still use it nowadays for mouths, uh, zombie mouths, or for uh, eyes to pull eyes down for burnt makeup or some uh, other kind of makeup, but not as extreme. Not as extreme, yeah. He really distorted his face. Um, and there's a classic photo of him, actually, um, he, he looks very proud and he's just got his makeup kit in his hand and he's smi- big smile to the camera. Um, and I think, yeah, he was definitely one of the pioneers and kind of shown the world, you know what, makeup is so effective and mm. cool. And that was it, really. I, I guess yeah. uh, Dick Smith would probably have said the same thing. Fantastic. And Stan Winston. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you look at you know you, that film is it reminds it's so it's quite you know what the it's, mask it reminds me of Nosferatu as well the, you know the kind of the the way the black and white just makes it even more sinister yeah, right it does yeah, it has that effect um, the mask that Lon Chaney wore as well was actually you, you don't see it off much but that was equally as terrifying actually yeah it was creepy yeah. Um, I'm, 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 I'm scared now with this conversation. <laughs> I want to move on because uh, uh, we got uh, Laura. What's your number three? Uh, my number three we mentioned is Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, uh, <laughs> just because it's it's absolutely awesome. Every single makeup is great. The hair is great, and Gary Oldman has just turned it into a masterpiece. Um, no arguments uh, from anyone in the not, room on that nope. one. Not at all. I, th- I think it was um, all of it was just. Beautifully done. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I'm very, f- I have a very, f- I have a lot of affection for this film. Uh, growing up, and um, you know, in hindsight, you know, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't matter about the things that don't work about it, because mm. we all know the things that don't well. The thing that doesn't work about this film, um, <laughs> or person, <laughs> you know, it was, a, it's like it's at the time. I really loved the fact that they managed to get a, a post Silence of the Lambs. Tony Hopkins, who was clearly in the ham, hammy mode, as yes. you know, as Helsing, and you know that. And I think that actually Winona Ryder is very good in the film too. Yes. And her, I just love the way that they dressed the Victoriana and the, the mix of actually, horror and Victoriana as well. It's a kind of almost a little steampunkishness to mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. intentionally or otherwise. When yes. I look back on it, you know, um, a little fact is that um, Francis Francis Ford Coppola got all the actors together for that film for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before filming uh, for rehearsing. And the rumour is that uh, Gary Oldman and Renoa pretty much hit it off quite hard. Quite quick, quite hard. Um, and then when it came time to filming, that had kind of fizzled out. So there, during filming, there was apparently quite a lot of tension between them. Which I think, if, if you read between the lines, you can kind of see it on the screen, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, it's all this insider gossip we, uh, <laughs> we're loving. Um, Tim. Um, you got number three? Yeah, sorry, I'm just keeping up with all the tweets. The, the lists are going quick and f- thick and fast. Well, my, my, it's fine. My number three, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. My number three is uh, is Tom Sullivan's work on Evil Dead. Ah, uh, oh. I, I don't know. It's, you must get a lot of get a lot of um, inspiration out of the sort of these kinds of films. Maybe. Do you yes. know what what I loved most um, about the Evil Dead was how just it was it was everything you wanted it to be. But it was just so crazy and yeah. comic book ish at the same time. Um, just even the colours they use, like the blues and the, the colours are off the scale, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're yeah. mad. And um, did you know that the film cost three hundred and fifty thousand dollars? This is the first one, isn't it? Yes, the, the sort of the cheap yeah. one. And uh, Tom S- Sullivan said that he doesn't he doesn't think he spent more than four hundred dollars for surprise in the whole film. <laughs> wow. 
Um, <laughs> so this is just a lot of tomato soup and uh, yeah. And, it's, and, it, and it, it, the film, it, the film is actually. I mean, it, it, it's at its best when it is funny. Um, it, you know, whether you find that the, the, some of the, the effects funny, but it is funny. Yes. It, it, it's absurd. Yeah. And it's not, uh, it's not quote unquote oh, realistic. There's only one scene in the film which is misplaced. Yeah, we all know that scene. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been talked about on the show before. Um, you know, and the famous shaky cam, which I still think makes that whole thing work. That the interplay that Sam Raimi brings with the shaky cam, mm-hmm. and, the, and and the fact that you know you have a Coen Brothers editing it as well. I did not know that. Yeah. That's interesting, really. Yeah. yeah. Wow. A um, little bit of uh, trivia for you. Um, but yeah, it's 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 all about that. You know, the the, the fun, the way you're using papier mache and you're creating <laughs> things made out of simple things, and you're able to make people really, really unwell. Yes. Yeah, very, very, I, I felt unwell um, watching it, that's for sure. Um, well, I want to, <laughs> to run through some of our tweets. Thank you very much for those who cool. had lots of contributions. Uh, Sean Brett, thanks for tweeting in, mentioned uh, they were talking about the Max von Sydow situation from The Exorcist. Um, and he said that apparently Max von Sydow said it hurt his career because casting directors thought he was a lot older than what yeah. he actually than was because yeah. it was so good. Um, we've also had um, some of the some other suggestions I suspect this will get mentioned later but Rob Bottin's work in The Thing has been mentioned yes. by Daryl Davis and he's Daryl Davis knowing what a, a soppy um, scaredy cat I am has managed to send a picture which does not involve any something horrible um, so I'm quite <laughs> pleased about that thank you very much for your uh, your care Daryl um, Feathers and Wings they've chosen five they've come with The Exorcist The Elephant Man The Evil Dead Hellraiser and um, Colin which was um a horror movie oh no sorry is there a film called The Last Horror Movie is that the film is that a film um, I don't know I that I haven't seen it you might need to give us a little bit more detail on that one we're not aware we've also got a great tweet in from, from Daryl again um, and it's that picture that you talked about Lon, Lon Chaney Senior with the makeup case ah, uh, and frankly he looks, he looks pretty terrifying in that he's got a sort of he looks very pleased with himself as you say but he looks it looks quite he scary looks quite, it, yeah there's a sinister been colorized, look in his eyes, I think he looks sort of slightly demonic you can't take, <laughs> you can't take him into Costa let's just say <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, do follow us on Twitter that's at Scream Brum and have a look at those images Images on there. We've also someone sent us a great picture, and I've seen this before. It's a clip from 1939 of Boris Karloff with uh, Jack Pierce, the makeup artist on Son of Frankenstein, yeah. uh, messing about, um, which is is beautiful. Jack Pierce, that's it. That was it, wasn't it? Yeah, Jack Pierce. So uh, there we go. Um, I, I saw. I was just posting up a picture of Gary Oldman, the infamous thing of him when he's laughing. You know, the older, the older. <laughs> 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 yeah. You know, and he, you know, it's, it, I always love the fact there's blood between his teeth. And yeah. he's, he's never. He doesn't look like he's actually cleaned up properly. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's it's, it's always just there, slightly. So many little <laughs> bits in that film. That it's just he is a an immortal vampire of of, of long standing. Um, we're going to be going his hair now. Is great. We're with going to be hair. going now um, into into the sort of the 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 podium of our favourite films so I'm going to play um, a short track first because um, you know we need to all relax I need to catch up with tweeting and too. calm down but please <laughs> send us your top five send us the, the makeups that you most admire and we'll see what our professionals think of it gonna tell Aunt Mary about there we are, Long Tall Sally, of course, Little Richard, and that's in Jurassic Park, which we admire the makeup on, particularly the new ones where they've gone back to real dinosaurs. Uh, not, spoiler alert, not real dinosaurs. Um, thank you again for all of your tweets and all your contributions, and we are now, um, we're at number three, right? Yeah. Uh, is it number three? Uh, or are we number two? Number two. Number two, number two, two okay, I think it might be time for a drum roll. 
Okay, so number two from you. I'm actually going to let... Right, because... (laughs) uh, My top two were... Gary Oldman, Dracula, and Jeff Goldblum, The Fly, which have been mentioned. Uh, However... You got some honourable mentions. I did, yes. I did because we were basing it on makeup. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, there's a lot of work um, that's within the same arena, but it's more creature design and animatronics. So I've got some mentions here. So I'm going to put one of my favourite creature designs um, and favourite characters that has been brought to life through animatro- animatronics and puppetry... And that's, of course, the gremlins. I mm. think they are fantastic. And in terms of creating a new character, they are just perfect in every way. Because you're right yeah. that you've not seen anything like those before. They're no, like, no. What, what are they? They're, they're yeah. not based on any kind of pre-existing anything, folk no. creature, are they? Yeah. No, the only thing that um, uh, Gizmo is based on is Steven Spielberg's dogs from the fur. <laughs> so that's that right? it. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's really interesting, yeah. And they are iconic aren't they're, they they're who doesn't know the gremlins mm. you know it's and they're it's just awesome they're, they're cute but evil and they did and it's awesome. the clever things and like, they all uh, look different as well they're all got individual characters yes. and they're not but generic chris wallace said that one of the ideas that he gave him the big ears because that's one of the ways to express so much emotion so when they're down when the gremlins have got their ears flat and down they're, they're quite aggressive but when they go up they're quite kind of curious kind of like meerkat pose and it's a good way of kind of communicating expression without talking because obviously they don't yeah, talk yeah and it's so. things it's just so cleverly done I just think it's a it's a perfect outstanding creature design yeah it's brilliant not over the top not too silly not too boring it's just yeah it's brilliant yeah yeah fantastic that's an excellent one so um, we're letting um we're letting us uh, adapt as we go on this one, and Ben has, has has changed around and put his number two as the Gremlin creatures from Gremlins. You lot, you know, whispering, you can be heard. We've got microphones here. <laughs> I was just, I was just reminding. It was Chris Wallace. My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, anyway. So, Laura, do you have a number two? Yes, uh, my number two is actually uh, quite recent as well. It's Pan's Labyrinth. Mm. Oh yes. Um, to Guillermo del Toro. The Pale Man, mm. uh, which is done by DDT Effects, which is a Spanish company in Barcelona. Uh, and my, my personal favourite, obviously, The Pale Man is absolutely brilliant. This design with the eyes in the hands is fantastic. Um, my favourite was seeing the phone. Uh, phone, phone, I don't know who you say. Horn. The horn. That's it, horn. that's yeah. the one. The things with the horns. Uh, not on screen, actually, but see behind the scene pictures. That's what got me, and it just killed me. He walks on set behind the scenes so everyone is normal, jeans, t-shirt. And that Duke Jones, which is the actor in the suit, comes in. And it's like he's there. The only thing that gives it away is half his scarf is sticking out in a green uh, pair of tights. But that's it. Otherwise, the creature's there. And his mouth is his mouth. The rest of his head is animatronic. But it works so well. And he's got so many expressions. There's pictures of him eating a McDonald's or things like that. And he looks completely normal. And yeah, to me, in recent makeup, is one of the most fantastic makeup that's been done recently. And Doug Jones is, is a sort of regular collaborator. Yes. He's worked with, with um, Guillermo del Toro on a number of things. And he's in the new Star Trek. Yes. And again, he plays some sort of alien with... Uh, he, he always plays monsters. Yeah, well, um, or, but he must be an actor that somehow is good at makeup. Is uh, that? Uh, basically, his job is to be in suit. He's mm. a suit actor. Uh, like, uh, there's another guy who came in more recently called Ravier Botet. Yeah. Uh, and they both have a, a kind of condition that makes them really tall and really thin. 
meaning they can fit in any suit and they both have an amazing body language. So they play nearly any monster you've seen recently that is in a suit is one of these guys. That is very fascinating. Um, So that was a number two from Laura there. Guerrero del Toro's um, Pan's Labyrinth. Have you seen The Shape of Water yet? Not yet. Um, It's out next yes. week and I understand um, the makeup on that one is a shoe in for the for the Oscar great but they no. have snubbed it for the Oscar which I don't really understand well it's not been nominated what is, it has makeup. been nominated but it's not, it's not been chose to be uh, competing for best think. picture or? yeah uh, for, uh, for best makeup ah. which is a shame well it's I guess it's a slightly odd one that when you've got 13 other nominations yet the thing that stands one of the things that stands out is Doug Jones's monster yeah well we haven't seen it so it's hard to respond um, uh, but behind the scene looks brilliant brilliant yeah. makeup. So, so Tim, um, do you have a number two? So yes. Speak? Uh, my number two is The Wizard of Oz. Mm. Oh. Um, I thought that having... I was going through and I was going, horror, 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 horror. Ah, yeah. Well, the, the, the Wizard, Wizard of, Oz. of Oz is a horror. Oh, as, oh, far, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, the wicked. it's a horror. Yes. Yeah. She it, travels it, to another world, kills the first person she sees, and then and she then travels I, around with a... I, I was you know, going to caveat that. I thought, actually, also horror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, this film is a landmark film for many, many reasons. You know, yes. you talked about the scale of uh, Tim Burton's Planet of the mm-hmm. Apes. This was possibly the first film where they understood the idea of the assembly line. It was the largest movie production of its time and set the stage really for all that sophisticated makeup and costume design for what was to come in the coming decades. And what the thing that really is the standout is how realistic the characters feel and look. Instead of it's like a, you've got this iconic nature to it, the costumes and the makeup design. And um, the other thing that was really important um, is the color of the film. I know I'm not talking about. The make the makeup per se, but the way the Technicolor helps the the the, the characters really just stand out and be vibrant. Mm-hmm. It's very vibrant. I don't know. I, it's I don't, it's unsettling how a film can be so vibrant yet so mm. terrifying. That's mm. not. <laughs> um, interestingly, though, here's here's a, a little fact about that, and there's lots of trivia with this film. Uh, the lion. I'm not sure who played him. Um, that's actually a real lion he's wearing. It's not a costume. It's it's actually a real lion. lion. Oh, uh, <laughs> if, if you look closely at the, the pictures, you'll see that it's actually um, they basically got a lion, and rather than turn it into a rug, they turned it into a costume. So the paws on the feet and the hands are—you look closely—it's an actual lion he's wearing. Wow, um, so amazing stuff. Yeah, and the other thing that's really interesting um, is that white didn't show up well in Technicolor, so instead they showed they used a light shade of pink mm-hmm. where white costumes were required, such as Dorothy's blouse. It's a light Ooh. shade of pink. Um, and well, um, here's what I know on that: is if you ever make if you want to make your Christmas cake look very white, put a little bit of blue in the icing. Uh, makes it look whiter. Yes. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's a little free bit of uh, technical. I guess it comes from that principle, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, that's, that, that's my number two. Um, it's a film. It's a film that always makes me cry. But as, as Blake will testify, I cry an awful amount watching films, so. which is which is an admirable an admirable trait. So we're, we're going to get ready to to do our number one. Um, any more contributions from our audience? Um, we have had someone tweet in the death of Captain Rhodes in Day of the Dead. Also, someone gets eaten alive, I think, don't they? Um, pretty grisly. Mm-hmm. Keeping it happy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, someone has also um, commented on the, the Evil Dead. 
um, that um, Bruce, what's he called? Bruce, Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell's Cold. written a book about this, um, where he talks a lot about the kind of makeup on that. So his book, uh, If Chins Could Kill, apparently is yes, is yeah. one to <laughs> yeah. read on this. Uh, yeah, he's, he's we've, great. We've, we've actually uh, working, or have been working with a guy called Scott Spiegel, who was. Uh, I can't remember if he wrote uh, or produced these films, but he's good friends with Sam Raimi, um, and yeah, he's 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 producing the film that we're working on at the moment, uh, and he's a very very down to earth cool guy, and he knows everyone. I remember I was on a like a conference call with him, and he was in the supermarket. And while we're on the phone to him, he bumped into Gina Davis, <laughs> and you could hear him in the background going, "Hey, Gina, you're oh, it's just it's just brilliant. It's just, yeah, and he's just such a nice guy." Oh, fantastic, Tim. We've had a tweet in from Steve Green at Steve Ghostwords. I posted up a picture of the flying dog from uh, NeverEnding Story. His name is Folklore. I always forget that. And um, all that Falcon needs, and I'm going to post this, is a pair of glasses. Oh, oh. So I think there that's, it is. That's Steve Green's own that's own dog. Quite the cutest, <laughs> cutest picture of the day. Um, uh, Steve Green is a, is, a, is a someone who uh, needs no makeup advice. He is a, a filmmaker. A horror filmmaker and has um, I have been I've been there while he was filming somebody with a pipe sticking out of their eye nice. and lots of guts, guts and viscera. Um, anyway, <laughs> we're going to go into our number ones. There's a little bit of time left for you to let us know your number one. Um, so um, if you want to, you may let us know what your favourite makeup films. I'm going to play you a track now. This is um, I admit is not the greatest piece of music ever recorded, but it was something I was slightly obsessed with, and it's from the soundtrack to. Uh, Screen 2 which is another one which has got some very iconic um, mask working hasn't it? Has. it? Yes, yes. Um, so, so we'll listen to this and then we'll get back with our final number one Hello everyone that was less than Jake um, doing the, the Partridge Family ver- uh, version of the Partridge Family's I, Le- I Think I Love You from uh, Scream 2 which I think is about the most eight, 90s thing ever recorded that it's piece, a very it? 90s thing everything about it is 90s so 90s we're here with the last 10 minutes of the Scream Brum show here on Brum Radio with Father Phantom special effects makeup artists in the studio and uh, Mr. Tim Wilson here also with me and I am Blake Woodham not we an are, expert we, um, but you are an expert on watching films and um, and watching what's <laughs> what's good and we're going to be doing our number ones our, our favourite special effects uh, sorry our makeup effects on here um, before I ask you I'm going to leap in I haven't done any of the others but I'm going to leap in with my number one um, we've talked about a lot of things today um, and the one that I really and it's hard to say this without it being a massive spoiler but the film Sleuth which is 1971 I think um uh, Michael Caine and uh, Laurence Olivier film. Mm. Um, it's remade um, with um, Michael Caine and Jude Law. That's right. And this is a point when in the 2000s where everyone was trying to make Jude Law into the new Michael Caine because he really made Alfie as well. <laughs> um, um, and But it's a fantastic... I don't know if, uh, if you're familiar with the film and it's hard to, to say without spoiling it, but it's a brilliant two-hander or three-hander uh, between these two actors having a kind of battle of wills in this stately home um, and it's all about um, artifice and um, sleight of hand and people tricking each other and the use of costume and makeup to do that and there's just some fantastic and there's a particular makeup in there which I can't really go into too much detail uh, without it spoiling things but is is just brilliant so I don't know if you're familiar with the film Tim have you seen Sleuth? Many years ago um, yeah brilliant 
many, Brilliant. many. It's, it's a long time. Yeah, and again, you know, not dated in the slightest. Works brilliantly well. It's one of those, those things that couldn't, well, for many reasons couldn't work now, but it's a fantastic. I don't know if Father Phantom, you're familiar with the, what I'm talking about uh, on that film? I'm not. No. Are you? No. no. Okay, well. Is there anything in, the, in particular in the makeup that you're pointing out? Well, it, there's, a, there's a sequence in when a, a character appears um, um, where, um, well, I, I, okay, let's try not to spoil it too much, but there's somebody not who they, who they seem um, and um, it is one of those very few cases where there is a makeup that allows someone to look like an actual person that isn't yeah. who they are. Um, and I'm, 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 I don't want to spoil it too much because if you haven't seen the film, it's a fabulous, fabulous film. Don't watch the the remake, which is directed by Kenneth Branagh. I don't know if it's any good or not, but um, it can't be better, frankly. So watch the original. So yeah, that's me leaping in at the last minute to give you my number one, hopefully not ruining uh, your number one. So your favourite special effect markup makeup oh, okay. uh, it's, it's ben struggling so well yes because um, number one's Laura already gone and tim here have took my number ones so i have got a few suggestions left of uh where i think the creature work has been fantastic and the design uh such as i'll go through a few quickly uh stan winston's predator i think that was beautifully designed yeah the creature from Black Lagoon, again, I think for its time and was fantastic. Even for nowadays. Um, the werewolves from the film Dog Soldiers. Oh. I think they are probably one of my favourite interpretations of the werewolf because That's they so are good. terrifying. They have the humanoid body and the wolf head, so it's very simple, but they've done it in a way that it's just terrifying and it's just beautifully designed. Um, but I'm going to throw also uh, an interesting one the terror dogs from Ghostbusters I thought they were really cool the little dogs in the fridge I like them too oh yes I thought they were fantastic but I'm going to throw it out there and say uh, Rob Bottin John Carpenter the thing what um, thing also what's (laughs) not uh, known much is um, Stan Winston helped Rob quite a lot on that but he didn't get credited because Stan just done it as a favour but um, there's a lot of that in that film that's actually Stan Winston and not Rob Bottin and the the, the, yeah I mean that's amazing the effects in there are just absolutely (laughs) freak the they were quite crazy and they've done everything they could have done yeah, it's oh just my god! It it's horrible. It's lovely though. It's horrible. For me, I think one of the, uh. the most upsetting bits is with the dogs near the beginning. Yeah, oh, that's upsetting. Oh, it's upset, but is, is it? It's bloody brilliant. good. It's yeah. fantastic. It's brilliant. Uh, it's, that, I'm surprised that hasn't been mentioned earlier. I mean, that is that is kind of, and that is a great film. I, you know, I, I'm not a I'm not a massive fan of John Carpenter as as, as regular listeners will know, but I think the other great thing. Well, the great thing about that film is he doesn't do the music himself. It's a great Ennio Morricone soundtrack as well, um, and it's just it's just his best film by an absolute country mile. Um, and of course, remake of the Howard Hawks nineteen whatever it is fifty was it sixty the thing from another world. I'm not sure. It might have been earlier. Um, yeah. Anyway, Tim, do you have a number one? I was taking issue with the best, but it's num- it's number one or number two. Yes, so what is in his canon. I was put Halloween probably as uh, you know. Move it. Move on. Move on. Move on. Let it move go. on. Move on. <laughs> um, I, I, my number one was Pan's Labyrinth, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Great minds. Yeah, I will say this just about Pan's Labyrinth. It's that Guillermo del Toro has this wonderful way of uh, blurring the line between nightmare and reality, and that he's he, he's able to create dreamscapes that are 
less horrible than the real world. And that's and you know he he always talks about his films being those, those the films that you know that and Devil's Backbone um, were nightmares in his dreams, mm-hmm. right? Then he brings his nightmares to life. Um, and I, I just yeah, I, I, Pale Man and Fawn are just two of the best character best creations in yeah. film. I, uh, I um, but it's been taken. It's been taken that slot. Have you got another one? Where are you going to? Yeah, I, I will. I, I could have mentioned Creature from the Black Lagoon mm. from a from a purely um, B movie aesthetic, but um, I'm going to mention the planet. I'm sorry, that Lord of the Planet, the Apes trilogy. No, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which um, also has some great makeup. I'm which has that's not been mentioned actually. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, th- there's a lot here that uh, you know we we haven't really. I know we we, we deliberately haven't talked about CGI, and we're not going to talk about mm. CGI here in relation to Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of amazing. Uh, again, it's a, as a as an assembly line production. It, it was on the scale. Uh, mar- thousands of masks, thousands of swords, thousands of yeah. thousands of webbed feet to make you look like a hobbit. Thousands yeah. of. Um, it, um, it was yeah, done on a scale that has been done, but not often, and so well done as well. Yeah, an amount of detail that was uh, brilliant. There's a great, there's a great one, yeah. isn't there, where um, you know Bernard Hill, you know, transforms from this kind of wizened old character back into his, into his kind of youthful figure, or you know, and and it's very fantastical. You know, he's ridiculously old and kind of wispy beforehand, but it's just a great, yeah, sort of sequence, isn't it? In there, yeah, they've done amazing creature works on that. Uh, and I, yeah, I have a, I, you know, there's a way that they seamlessly managed to use the, to get the close-ups mixed with the CGI. So you don't. It's one of the few. It's one of those few cases, and it's a long where time ago now where, where it's worked. worked. Well, it does work. Um, yeah, but they don't CGI the costumes, the actors. No. There's no, there's no, this, there's no this transformational is, thing going on. It, it was you can make it work. A clever yes. use of CGI. The problem with CGI nowadays is used for. All sorts of reason, and most of the time they're not good reasons. But the Lord of the Ring is one of them that they used it cleverly. So when you watch it, it's seamless and it works, and it just takes you where it wants to take you in the fantastical world with lots of creatures. And uh, you know that is the time where we had the first, um, you know, CGI character as well. So I, I know that must be bittersweet for you. But mm. there's a, there is there is a great sequence in one of the, I think it's in the in the Two Towers where we see. Andy Serkis um, transforming into Gollum using makeup, and there's a sequence where he's fully made up, and then he closes his eyes and he opens them, and it's a CGI character. Yeah. It's entirely seamless between them. Fantastic. I was, you know, we, we we weren't going to go into CGI today, and Andy, if it had been, then would Andy Serkis would have been all over it, right? Um, for yes. his work. Yes. Um, um, but there you go. That's that's where if you get the balance right, and Lord of the Rings it, is just where it does it work. Did. Um, uh, we are coming very much up against the end of the show now, but I don't believe, Laura, you've had your number one uh, yet. No, I haven't. No, so I was noticing that. So. it, but uh, it needs to be my number one. It's The Exorcist. Um, because the work, obviously you mentioned the old age makeup, but the work on Regan, which was working with a child, which is extremely difficult, mm. and make that cute little girl, which has a really round, cute face, into the thing that terrified me my whole life and still does. Um it was just brilliant. Dick Smith invented pretty much contact lenses for this film. He invented something that could make something right from the inside of your belly and looked not silly at all. Everything was brilliant about that film. I think every single bit of makeup to me is at the absolute best in The Exorcist. 
Fantastic. That's a really great one to end with. And I know that someone on Twitter has, has commented on that already as well. Um, uh, it's, it's the end of the show. We've come to the end of the show. We've had a great uh, show today. We hope you have enjoyed it. We really appreciate all of your contributions, all of your tweets your emails and your Facebooking contact with us. When we move back to our new studio, we're in a temporary studio at the moment, when we move back to our new studio, we'll have a phone as well. So you'll be able to ring us and tell us your thoughts as well. But thank you so much. If you are on Twitter, do follow us. Go to at Screen Room and follow us. And have a uh, a squeeze back through some of the... um, comments we've had today because we've had some great pictures i'm loving this lon janey uh, senior photo <laughs> that we've been sent it's absolutely captivating and there's also a, a great picture that someone's tweeted us uh, of max von sido and uh, daryl davis thank you um, as father marion and it's just remarkable um how they transformed a 44 year old man into looking like he did utterly you know it's so difficult as you said you know to make yeah. someone look old without it looking rubbish <laughs> yeah and he'd he done it Flawlessly, absolutely yes. perfectly, and as you say, all of the other work in The Exorcist as well. So, uh, regardless of your uh, of your stomach for horror, um, watch it for the artistry, uh, and that goes for <laughs> for a lot of these films. And um, finally, can I just say thank you very much, uh, Father Phantom? Thank you, guys. You're brilliant, welcome. brilliant, You're brilliant. Welcome. Thank you um, for having us. Are you able to able to give us any any gossip on on what you're working on at the moment? Is there anything you can tell us? Oh. Uh, or is it all secret? in talks of um, making some nice uh, demonic creature, hopefully for this year, uh, and maybe an action film as well at the end of the year. Yeah, so. there will be um, uh, quite a big action film called uh, Dark Ascension, which is going to be part of a, tril- uh, part of a trilogy. Um, that's going to be pretty big. I believe they're trying to get uh, Bruce Campbell on it. Hey. Uh, yep. Yeah. Sorry, um, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then another one um, that's kind of literally that we just had a meeting a few days ago about this um, that has some kind of a demonic alien in it, which is quite an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. We'll see where that goes. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we really appreciate you coming in. Thank you very much thank for you. that. Um, thank you all for listening. Stay tuned to Brum Radio. Lots more coming up uh, on the rest of the day and the weekend and we're going to leave you with the soundtrack or part of the soundtrack to John Carpenter's The Thing and this is Ennio Morricone's very electronic score for a brilliant this particular track is Humanity 2 thank you very much everyone thank you Tim bye bye have a great weekend bye now bye guys bye Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please consider joining our listener supporters. You can do this by clicking the support tab on our website or go direct to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio. Brum Radio shows are streamed online at the Brum Radio Mixcloud page and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com.